We're going to be reading verse 11 through to 22 today. We focused on this psalm, if you remember, a few weeks ago. Um, And I just wanted to, again, just express my my gratitude to David, who led so well last week and preached to us from Mark's gospel. Um, And so we're going to pick up again here in Psalm 34. I'll put the verse up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You know, there's a quote that I want to share with you. It's from J. Gresham Machen. He was the professor at Princeton back in the 1930s, well worth reading. He wrote a book called Christianity and Liberalism. It's not the easiest book to read, but really on point for the times we live in. And he said this, the full quote is, paganism, and that doesn't necessarily mean people dancing around trees, that's anybody that's not a Christian. Paganism is optimistic with regard to unaided human nature. Get your head around that. Paganism is optimistic with regard to unaided human nature, whereas Christianity is the religion of the broken heart. I love that. Love that quote. We're going to be talking today about God's heart for the broken hearted. Now, to begin with, I'll tell you a little story. On Friday, I've started playing football with a group of guys who are closer to my age, which helps me. I tried playing with younger guys, and my body said no. (laughs) So I've started now playing with a bunch of guys up at the university who are closer to my age. And um, each week, there is a vote that takes place after the game. Everybody gets to vote for their player of the match. And... um, you know, I'm, so far I've got four votes, so I'm hopeful. We'll see the results in a couple of days. But here's the deal. If you want to win player of the match, how many of you understand you need to display certain qualities? Rarely, rarely is a centre-back going to win player of the match. Because people, it doesn't catch people's eye, does it? I've had some great games in defence, but people don't notice that. It's when you score goals. 
So you know, if I want to be player of the match, I actually have to score some goals. I maybe have to be a bit negligent at the back. I'll let other people do that, but I'm going to score the goal. So I want to get that award. You need also to make sure that you're not losing the ball, you're not being flippant with your possession, and you're basically behaving in the, in the proper way. This is a game where no swearing is allowed, so you need to be a good boy. and not. I don't swear. I don't swear when I play football, but you need to be a good boy. You need to be on top of your emotions, okay? And that's how you put yourself in the best position to win player of the match. You score goals, you behave well, you don't lose possession, you encourage your teammates, put you in with the best possible chance of winning the player of the match award. And I hear many preachers today talking in similar terms about attracting the favour of God. Positioning yourself to attract God's attention. We hear many preachers talking about that kind of a thing. We need to adopt a particular attitude or a particular condition in the heart in order to attract the favor of God. And many of them will exhort their congregations, you know, to be more on fire uh, for God, to be more prayerful, to be in God's word more. These are all good things. But rarely do you hear any of these preachers say, Position yourself for God's favor. Be more crushed. I want you to be more smashed up and broken. That's how you're going to attract the favor of God. I don't know about you, but I don't really hear that message loud and clear from many preachers today. But that's exactly what David says attracts the nearness of God. The qualities of brokenness and the quality of being contrite or crushed in spirit. David says those are the qualities that attract God's attention. Isaiah 57, 15 says, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with those who are contrite and lowly in spirit. Did you hear that? I dwell in the high and holy place and with him or her who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Contrite in the Hebrew, it just means crushed. In fact, the idea is of a hammer. It's of a hammer smashing rocks into dust. So if you're contrite in spirit, it means you're, you're crushed. Crushed in spirit. There's so much of the preaching in these days, we, we do not hear that message, do we? About God's heart for the broken. God's desire to be with those who are crushed. Who've reached the end of themselves. So much of the preaching these days, actually, if I may say, serves to puff up the ego rather than bring it low. So much of the preaching in many churches sounds more to me like the paganism that J. Gresham Major was talking about. It has great confidence in human nature. We stand up and make declarations. I am powerful. I am important. I am a world changer. I haven't got a problem with that. Through the Holy Spirit, you can do all those things. But 
It is God who says, my attention is on the broken, on the crushed, on the needy. I believe the problem today in many churches is that the world has gotten into the pulpit. The world's message has arrived at the pulpit of Western Christianity. There's the quote that says, a ship on the water is good, but water in the ship is bad. Church in the world is good, but the world in the church is bad. The order of the day in the world, if you watch any trash TV, as we do in our house, too regularly, but if you watch any trash TV in your house, or you're engaged at all in social media, you follow influence on social media, you'll see that the order of the day is self-empowerment, self-expression, self-promotion, and self celebration. Aren't I right? Those are the messages of the world. It's a message that actually appeals to every natural born human. It's the image of the self-made man. You know that image of the man chiseling himself out of bare rock. And that's that's the man that the world loves. Successful, powerful, triumphant, and strong. As I say, that's the message that's gotten into many Christians' heads in these days. But it's a sermon that wasn't written in the Word of God. It was written in the world. You don't hear anything, sadly, from many about the cross, about suffering, about brokenness, about meekness. Now, I believe there's a a great thing to be said about the glory of the cross and the glory of God. Christian theology should always have that. should always have the glory, shouldn't it? The glory of God and what he's able to do with broken people. But if it loses the message of suffering and the cross, it ceases to be a Christian message at all. God is near to all, amen? Paul says in Acts 17 that it's in God that we all live and move and have our being. Whatever you believe in the world, whether you reject Christ... It is him that is giving you oxygen to breathe right now. God suffers even the wicked to raise their voice against him. All day long he suffers them and gives them breath to do that. He's good even to the evil. He's kind even to those who do not deserve it. He's near to all, but he's especially close to those who are broken in heart and crushed in spirit. Isaiah 66 verse 2 All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And trembles at my word. What can we learn from that? Well, we can learn something about what the Bible means by humility And what the Bible means about somebody who is crushed. It is somebody who trembles at God's word. It is somebody who has lost faith in the message of the world. That no longer trembles at the message of the world. Or trembles at the word of other humans. Lives in the fear of man, in other words. Lives to impress others. Lives or dies by the opinions of others. It is somebody that trembles at the word of God. The Hebrew word for humble in that passage can actually just mean suffering one. 
suffering one. So God is especially looking to those who are suffering, who are crushed, who have reached the end of themselves. I think that's a wonderful, encouraging message if you here today are experiencing a season like that where you've reached the end of yourself and you are suffering, then this is a wonderful word about the nearness of God to you in that season. The biblical commentator Mayer, one of my favorite quotes, listen to this, he says, a bird with a broken wing, an animal with a broken leg, a woman with a broken heart, or a man with a broken purpose in life. These seem to drop out of the main current of life into shadow. They go apart to suffer and droop. The busy rush of life goes on without them. But God draws nigh. I love that. I love that. Isn't it just the case when you suffer in life, when you experience a broken heart in life, the world seems to go on without you. It seems to pass you by. Those who began to text you at first and ask how you're doing slowly begin to forget to do that. And it can feel such a lonely place, can't it? The crucible of suffering and pain and brokenness it can be such a lonely place. It can be a forgotten place. You become a has-been. But God draws nigh. This is David's story. It's David's story. Do you remember? We talked a little bit about where the psalm was written. And if you remember where the psalm was written? It was written in the cave of Adullam. After David had escaped from Saul, Saul was trying to come for him to take his life. David escaped. Do you remember where he ran to? He ran to Gath. He was so desperate to escape from Saul that he ran to the very city of Goliath, the guy whose head he chopped off. And if you remember, before he arrived at Gath, he made a stop on the way. He made a stop on the way to pick up the sword of Goliath that he used to chop off Goliath's head. So here he is at the gates of Gath with the sword that he used to chop Goliath's head off with and all the people in Gath, I should imagine, are rubbing their hands with glee. We're going to get even. And David, by the grace of God, manages to escape. He feigns madness. Achish says, do do I need another madman in my midst? Please, let him go. And he flees. He flees to the caves in the wilderness. David is at a low point. He's at a low ebb in his life. You remember this? He'd already been anointed king. He'd been anointed the next king by Samuel the prophet. Can you imagine that as a teenager? He'd then gone and defeated the great hero of Gath, Goliath, on his own as a young man. He'd risen through the ranks in Israel. He'd become this amazing general who was killing all the enemies of Israel in the tens of thousands. He'd become a hero. And now here he is in the cave of Adullam, out in the wilderness. People have forgotten about him. He's a nobody. He's a has-been. And in that cave, the Bible says that everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Isn't that the case that sometimes when we go through a season of suffering, it actually attracts other people into your life who are suffering. 
That's what happened to David. How many of you has that happened with? When you've gone through something hard and then suddenly people who have also gone through hard things, they see you then as a safe place. And I think here God is actually showing us his purpose and will in that. These were men who were living out in the wilderness on their own, forgotten men. Now we know them now as the mighty men, don't we? We, we think of David's mighty men. But here they were in the cave of Adullam, bitter in heart, broken, forgotten. This tells me there's hope for you today. There's hope for you if you're broken, if you're bitter, if you're hurt, if you've gone through stuff. Just like those men, you can become a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. You're not forgotten to him. His purposes are not done with you. And your name will not be remembered as a failure, as a has-been, as a forgotten also ran. God is able to turn broken people into mighty men or women. And also it shows me the purpose. God's purpose in allowing us to go through suffering. We become a safe place for those who have suffered. We become a haven almost for people who have been cast out. And God has wonderful purposes in that. So these men arrive at the cave of Adullam. They find David there and he becomes their commander. I love this quote by Dane Ortland. Has anybody read Gentle and Lowly? It's a great book, Gentle and Lowly. It's by Dane Ortland. Listen to this. Dane Ortland says, Contrary to what we expect, the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity with us. As we go down into pain and into anguish, we are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart. Not away from it. I love that. I love that. Because very often in times of suffering is when I think, God, where are you? Any of you feel like that? God, where could you be in this? I can't see... The Bible is always at pains to remind you he's more near now than he was in your season of ease. He's more close to you to help you and deliver you and save you now than he was in your season on the mountaintop. When we suffer, when we go through pain, when we go through anguish, is that not the way of the cross? Is that not the way of Jesus Christ? The road of suffering. You remember that verse that said, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. The Bible never promises that the righteous, the saints, will be free from suffering. That's a new message that we've thought up in this day and age. It's called the prosperity gospel. But it is not a message that you'll get from the Bible. I heard last week of a, a big preacher in Nigeria stood up and said, people talk about suffering, about taking up your cross. He said, I only see one cross in the Bible and it's Jesus's. He's already suffered, I don't need to. Jesus never said that. He said, if you want to follow me, you've got to walk my path. Take up your cross and follow me. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers you out of them all. He has a purpose in every suffering. 
Jesus himself in Matthew 5, what we call the Beatitudes, he says some things that are just so countercultural, so different from the message of the world. Listen to this. Blessed are the poor. What? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, many translations these days dispense with the word meek because it isn't really a word we use very often today. You might have blessed are the gentle or blessed are the humble. And that's close to the meaning, but gentleness is not meekness. Humility is not meekness. They're different. Gentleness is something I, you experience of me. If I'm gentle, you will say, he, is a, he has been gentle to me. But if I'm meek, it, I, I don't meek you. I can't meek you. I can be gentle to you, but I can't necessarily do the same in terms of gentleness. Meekness is like an internal quality. It's how I consider myself. It's not something I am to somebody. It's, it's what I consider myself to be. Meekness is the opposite of self-assertion. It's the opposite of self-interest. It's the opposite of self-promotion. Meekness views oneself as the least. It views others as better. J.C. Ryle said, Meekness is one of the brightest graces which can adorn the Christian character. The last thing that the world would expect would be that meek people would inherit the earth. That's crazy, Jesus. These are people that do not put themselves forward. They claim nothing for themselves, but Jesus says it's them that will inherit the earth. Those who do not claim titles for themselves, those who do not claim power, put themselves forward, promote themselves. But the meek, the meek, Jesus himself said, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus was meek. That was Jesus' attitude, meekness, not claiming anything for himself. We read in Philippians 2, you know, he, he did not grasp for equality. He submitted himself, he humbled himself even to death on a cross. So meekness, brokenness, contrition, these are all things, far from turning God off of you, they're things that actually attract God to you, and they're things that are displayed in the character of your Lord Jesus Christ. This is who he was. This is who he was. It's impossible, I believe, for you to experience the full blessing of God without being broken. I don't think the blessing of God can be upon fully a person who's never been broken. I don't think the blessing of God rests upon anybody who's never been crushed. How can it? Someone who's fully self-satisfied and perfectly happy in themselves doesn't need a cross, do they? 
They don't need a cross. They don't need a bloody, rugged old cross to save them. That's why it's nonsense to people when we talk about the cross on the streets. We say, Jesus Christ is a savior from sin. They say, well, I don't need saving. Why? Because they're not broken. It's impossible to be in the blessing of God without being broken, without being humble, without being contrite. And let me say to you, it's impossible for a human to arrive at that condition in and of themselves. We need God to bring us to that place. We need God to switch the lights on, don't we? I remember this as a student. I remember being packed up. It's around the time of year now, isn't it, when all the, the kids go off to university. And I remember my first week at university, and you're just you know, surrounded by opportunity to do bad stuff. You're free. Mum and dad aren't watching you anymore. Nobody's checking in on you. No person in church knows anything about who you are. And there's the, in, inside of me was this thing of like, I could, do, I could do anything. And you know what? Like, it's almost like no one would know. Just being honest with you. I remember that week waking up one morning and it was as if while I'd been asleep, God had replaced my conscience. And I woke up in the morning and I said, I want nothing of what this world has to offer me. I don't want the things that all my mates want. I don't know what happened. I went to bed being very tempted. I woke up feeling dead to it. All I can tell you is that God did something while I was asleep. When I woke up in the morning, I did not want the world. I did not want, want what it had to offer me. I didn't care. It was like it was dead to me. Only God can do that. Are you dead to the world? Have you arrived at a place where you don't want the same things that the world wants? You're not driven by them. You don't need them. You need Jesus. You need saving. Only somebody broken. Only somebody crushed. Only someone who's reached the end of themselves will ever want the cross. Do you want the cross today? David says that God is near to those who are broken. He's near to those who are crushed in spirit. He saves them. I want you to think about this. What does it mean that God is near to you? What does it mean that God is near to you? When a dear friend is near to you, think about that. What does it mean when a dear friend is near? It can mean comfort. It can mean shared life. Relationship. And now imagine if that same thing, comfort, nearness, relationship, imagine now that God is sat next to you right now. Sat next to you. What does that mean? God's nearness, I want to say this, first of all, is nearness to save. Nearness to save. Let's look at the context of this Psalm. What's David talking about? He's recounting his experience 
outside Gath when he'd gotten himself into a horrible mess. Do you remember? It was his fault that he was running from the king of Gath. He was the one that rocked up outside Gath's walls with Goliath's sword in his hand. It was a silly mistake. And then he lied. He pretended to be crazy when he wasn't. Do you think God was impressed? I'm not sure that God was impressed with David's behavior. He'd gotten himself into a pickle, but then he says in verse 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him. Saved him out of all his troubles. When God is near to you, he's near to you to deliver you out of all your troubles. If you'll cry out to him, he will save you. Secondly, God's nearness is nearness to heal you. Now that's part of saving you, isn't it? But it's not entirely the same. It's a, it's a part of saving. I love what the Bible says about salvation. It doesn't just say that salvation is like a legal document. We often think of it like that, don't we? And that's true. When you're saved, it's like all of your sins, all the wrong stuff you've done and nailed to the cross. That's Colossians. Nailed to the cross, dealt with, done. And God judges you righteous. He declares you righteous. So that is a legal form of salvation. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than just a legal document. In salvation, there is also healing. There is healing for brokenness. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. Remember when Jesus read the scroll in the uh, synagogue? He read the scroll of Isaiah, didn't he? And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to declare freedom to the captives. Um, there's another one that I'm forgetting, but then he says, and To bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus came to not just save, but to heal you. If you're broken today, if you're shattered by life, if you've experienced pain, then I know how this feels. There's no pill you can take to fix that. Let me tell you, there's things that can help with the symptoms, but there's no pill you can take to fix a broken heart, is there? Charles Spurgeon said that the heart is like a reservoir. You know, a reservoir filled with water, and it provides water to whole cities, Right? And your heart is like that. That's the biblical image for what your heart is like. And when it gets polluted with something, something happens to you, something that shouldn't have happened to you. You go through pain, it can leave pollution in the heart. It can leave a trace inside of you, inside of that reservoir, that then pours out into every other area of your life. That's why that saying is true. Hurt people hurt people. Why? Because their heart has been broken and ruptured. And so all they can give out is brokenness. But Jesus said, I came to heal the broken heart. I came to do what a pill could not do. Now, I'm not saying if don't take medication. There's things that sometimes we need help with. Managing the symptoms of what we're going through. Nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is only God can heal the root cause. Only God can heal the root cause of that. Only he, he can heal a broken heart. So if you're here today and you know do you know what? I've been broken. I've been shattered. I've been hurt. And I know there's pollution. I know there is bitterness inside of my heart. God can heal the bitterness of a broken heart. So his nearness 
is nearness to heal. And finally, his nearness is nearness to comfort you. How many of you would feel comforted if on Monday morning, Jesus sat down at your desk with you? (laughs) I would feel such a weight come off my shoulders, wouldn't you? Just like, nothing's going to be a problem anymore. I don't need to worry about that thing. I don't need to freak out about that situation over there. Because Jesus just sat down in my office with me. Just feel the relief flow through your body right now. God's nearness brings comfort. Brings comfort. Psalm 9.9 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And that image I painted for you of Jesus sat next to you is true. If you're born again today, he's inside of you. It's even closer. By his spirit, he's upon you right now. He's with you. And if I would just remember that each day, I think I would live a happier life, a less stressed life. Now, wait a minute. It's not just me sat in this office. It's the Lord Almighty. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Brothers and sisters, I want you to remember again these words that Paul wrote of those who suffer, of those who are weak. How many of you feel weak sometimes in life? I feel weak more than ever. But let's be reminded of Paul's words. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you For my power is made perfect in what? Say it louder. My power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, says Paul, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. God's power is made perfect, not in your strength, but in your weakness. When we'll turn to him like David did and cry out for deliverance, it's then that we receive the help of God. Now listen, you'll go through seasons of strength. Some of you here today will be sat here thinking, do you know what? I'm doing better than I ever have. Wonderful. God is close to you. He is close to you, but when you're in that deep valley of suffering and pain and confusion, God says, yeah, I'm closer than I was on a mountaintop. I'm closer now than I was when you were the hero. I'm closer to you when you're the zero. When you could admit, I've got nothing left. God says, I'll be your everything. God's strength is perfected, brothers and sisters, in our weaknesses. Let's pray. If you want to stand with me, if you're able. And I want just to give you a chance, give you a moment to just do business with God, to come before him. Close your eyes, don't look around. Let's just be with our Lord for a moment now. I know for some here, there are real wounds in the heart. There are things that have happened to you that did damage to your soul, that were not your fault. And I pray right now 
that as you stand where you stand, the Lord bring healing to your hearts. The Lord make your heart good as new. Take away the pain of what happened. Restore you and use you. Turn you from a bitter in soul to a mighty man or mighty woman, just like those men in the cave of Adullam. Maybe some of you today are a bit like David. You've gotten yourself into a mess. It's your own fault. Well, listen. Remember what I said. God is not an austere, distant God. He's your Father. And you can call out on Him, even if it's your own mess. You can call out like David. You can cry out to Him, and He'll save you. He'll deliver you. He'll be near to you. So call out to Him today. If you've stumbled up into a mess that you made, call out to God today for deliverance. Cry out to Him. I want to pray for those of you who know that you need Christ now more than you ever have. I pray if you've reached the end of yourself that you would be able to call on his name today. You'd be able to remember that he's with you. Remember the image of him sat next to you at work just to know that he is close. He is near. He's not distant. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't overlooked you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He's for you and not against you. No matter what anybody else says, he is close to you right now. He's with you. I just pray you begin by the power of the Spirit to just sense that nearness right now in your heart, to know it, to believe it, to trust it. God has not abandoned you. He's with you. And just begin to feel that weight come off. You know, Jesus, of course, said, take my yoke upon you. Not your own. Take my yoke. For my burden is easy. My yoke is light. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. Some of you need rest in your souls. Some of you need to hand your burden to Christ and receive his. And we're going to just come to worship him now. And as we do, I want you to just stay in that place. Keep just communing with God. And we're going to sing a final song together. Yet not I, but through Christ in me.